Acts 2, verses 46, 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and uh, ate together with glad and secure hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daniel, great job, bud. Appreciate you. All right, adults and teens and older people, we're not going to do what the kids just did to Barry. You guys are going to get excited out here, right? We're going to study scripture. We're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Grab your Bibles. Let's go there. Grab a bulletin. Oh, man, your kids are great. Love it. It's so fun. couple things as we get started. I want to invite you next Sunday uh, to stick around for our fellowship feast. It's going to be a special Sunday, um, not only because we get to eat together, but uh, we had a couple of our members, a couple of our ladies just get back from a trip to Israel, uh, Grace Isaacs and Cassie Warren. And during the meal next week, they're going to get up and do uh, just a little report, give some slides, show some different pictures, and uh, we'll get to hear from them on all the things they experienced, and we're super excited about that. And so let's uh, make sure we're here for that. Other thing I want to mention is if you haven't come to be a part of our Sunday morning new Bible class that we got started last week, um, want to challenge you to be there. 9.30s, I know that some of you may not be in the habits of being around that early <laughs> on Sunday mornings. I get it. It's tough. But please be here. We're studying some difficult passages. You may wonder about some things that we practice here at the church. You may wonder about some of the things that we do. And we're going to discuss those there as we discuss men and women and leadership in the church. Be looking at some passages that maybe you've looked at before, maybe you haven't. But I want to encourage you to be here. Um, the worst thing you can do, you may not care, so you may be like, I don't really care. That's fine. That's weird, but uh, if you're a Christian, you ought to care what the Word of God says. But if you care, you need to be here. The worst thing you can do is show up later and go, well, I don't, I, I heard you said this, Jake. Well, if you heard it, you weren't there, so you may not know if it's true or not, right? You need to be there. So show up. Uh, you got to do the work in order to be part of the work. And so I don't say that as condescending. I say that as a challenge to you. Let's be there. Let's make sure that we're there and doing the work. So please be a part of that. But we're glad you're here today. It's a great day. Um, uh, thank you guys for being here. And uh, God is good. And I love singing what we've done, what we've sung. This is my father's world. Yeah, it's been a tough week. And with the toughness of the week, I'll tell you what I saw yesterday. Coming back from a track meet. It's that little bit of rain we had seen, and you guys have probably already seen it. All the scorched earth between here and Miami. What do you already see? Green grass, right? It's incredible, isn't it? Just boom. God's creation just is so good. And I was just in awe of that. I think it was in the morning. We drove out early, and you couldn't see any of the green. By yesterday afternoon, as we drove back from Amarillo, you started seeing the green come. And so where you're, wherever you're at this morning... And you may feel a little bit like that scorched earth. God is at work. And God is doing things. And we're excited about what he's doing. So with that in mind, uh, you may feel like this guy, we're about to show a little silent video here. You may feel like since 2020 or maybe even longer or, 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 or maybe just the last few months, you may feel like somebody's invited you to something and it sounds like a lot of fun. And you're like, hey, maybe somebody came up and said, hey, it's 2020s. We're starting a new decade a couple years ago. And you're like, yes, new decade. Maybe you really like new dates. And then since then, you've been like, 
this is awful, right? So you may feel like this guy. It may feel like you've been put into a world or invited by somebody into this. And the tagline says, reason number 37, why women live longer than men. But I want to just let you know, if you feel like this guy this morning, who apparently accepted a dare from one of his buddies before they ice, were ice fishing to try to ride the auger, you are not alone. This is great. <laughs> Gives a little test here. Oh, so great. So you've been there, right? Show of hands. You felt like that recently, right? World's got you in a spin cycle and then all of a sudden bottom drops out. We've been there. So if you're there this morning, we you are not alone. We are not alone in this place. We have all been through moments that feel like this, it's just not near as funny, right? What I want us to know this morning as we get started is this. Everything that you do and everything that happens today in the present matters. Now, I'm not saying everything is predetermined. What I'm saying is everything matters. And here's why. God, our Lord, is non-temporal. Now, I'm not talking about Japanese uh, version of frying fish, not tempura, <laughs> temporal. What I mean is God exists beyond our past and our futures. But what God chooses to do is to live into the present. He works one day at a time. He gives each day as a gift one day at a time. As the author of Lamentations says, his gifts or his mercy is new every morning. And so everything that happens today and everything that you do today and everything you choose today matters because God chooses to meet you in the present moment. And because he does that, there is this incredible opportunity for people who follow Jesus to discover mission and purpose, which is what we're gonna talk about today in every moment of each day. See, our faith is not something, and you've heard me say this recently a lot, it is not something that is quiet. Faith in Jesus is something that we embody and we display. We receive the light to become the light. We carry and we pass on and we share a declared faith, a confessed faith that we say that Jesus is Lord, so therefore nobody else is. And it's because we have that type of faith that we go out into the intersection of life and our faith, and for today, our purpose meets the world, and we have this incredible opportunity to change the world around us. But I can already hear your minds working because as easy as it is to say that all of us should have purpose, we know how difficult it is for us to keep hold of a purpose, right? Right? For us not just to get into the rhythm of life and then look back on ourselves and go, wow, what has happened to me? It is difficult. It's hard. And the reason it's hard to live into purpose every day is because for many reasons, but maybe the one I want to focus on for just a moment is because 
We don't, we don't live in a one day at a time, right? One day at a time growing mindset. We don't live in a one day at a time, let's live in the present world. What we live in is an all at once world. We love things to come to us all at once. That's why if you slap the word instant on anything, it immediately gets our attention, right? I don't want results from my workouts. I want instant results, right? right? You, that's why there's clickbait, get abs in seven days. Really? Sounds good. What do I have to do? Nothing. Sounds great. Instant abs, right? Right? I don't want just relief from my headache. I'm going to buy the ibuprofen that says instant relief. I don't want just ramen in my soup. I want instant ramen, right? I'm not just going to make dinner in a pot. I'm going to make it in my Insta pot, right? Right? Uh, I don't just take pictures. I'm going to take them on Instagram. We love instant things. Some of you are thinking right now, Jake should invent the Insta sermon <laughs> and shut up, right? <laughs> I get it. You would love for me to sit down. But guys, following Jesus is not instant. It's not. It's not come out of the water and have everything figured out. It is a process of sanctification and transformation, of finding purpose and meaning not just in a moment, but in something in every day. We can't order transformation and have it shipped in two days on our prime uh, accounts. It's not something, transformation is not something that arrives after 30 seconds after we hit the warm-up button in the microwave. Following and discipleship happens one moment, one thought, one self-sacrificing decision at a time. And the discovery of your purpose that each and every one of us have. Jesus did not save the church so that a few people could be like Jesus. He saved the church, and we talked about this last week, so that we could embody him and be a people, a holy nation. Not nation, nation state, a holy kingdom belonging to Jesus who display his goodness to the world. So that means all of us have a purpose. And so this morning, we're gonna jump into how to discover our purpose by looking at Luke 2 and how Jesus, as a 12-year-old, made a discovery about who he was. So grab a hand of somebody next to you, and let's work on the habits and choices we make each day to get us to be people who live on purpose. Let's pray. Father God, we... Man, if I've been singing this morning, I just realized how, how much I need you again. I wish I realized it every day. I wish I was brought to my knees every day because I know I'd be a better Christian if I was. But God, we need you in a world that seems to just be going crazy. Let us inhabit the purpose you have for us. Let us open our eyes to a wider vision for our lives. And God, whether we're here today maybe needing to discover purpose for the first time or just rekindle the fire of purpose again in our lives, whatever it is, Father, please speak to each and every person. I believe, Father, that you believe in the priesthood of all believers, that everybody in here is a minister. Everybody in here who has been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you've, been given, you've given them mission and gifts and purpose. 
God, we want to discover that. I know everybody in here wants purpose. They want to matter. And so, Father, help us to be people that choose each day to make it matter. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. All right, let's go to Luke 2. So when you go to Luke 2, um, Luke's going to give us a unique uh, insight from the Gospels into the life of Jesus. And here's what's unique about it. We know a lot about Jesus's early life, and then we know a lot about his late life. What's crazy is most of the Gospels are about his late life, 30 to 33, his, his thousand years, or thousand days, thousand years, thousand days of ministry that he did on earth. And the first of the Gospels are just about his two years, 600 and something days that he spent from birth to the flight to Egypt. But what we don't know is what happened in between. We have very little insight into what happened between Jesus being about a toddler, two years old, being Rip up here, right, to being 30 years old, right? So what we're gonna look at, and I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but I wonder if you've ever gone, well, what happened in those 10,200 days between the time in Egypt and then his baptism by John the Baptist, which he began his ministry? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. If you have... I want you to think about that. What were those 10,000 days of obscurity about? And where we get a little hint, we'll never know what those 10,000 days were fully about. What we do is get a little hint of what they were about here in Luke chapter two. As he and his family, Joseph and Mary and other children, it seems, are on a trip and they end up at Passover in Jerusalem. Here's how it begins. The passage starts every year. Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, pause for there for a second. We're jumping into some other, other passages here in just a second, but just 41 and 42 here in Luke 2. What you hear here is tradition. Now, there is such a thing as EC Christians. Anybody heard of EC Christians? That's Christians that only show up at church for Easter and Christmas. EC Christians, that's not what is being described here. I don't think Mary and Joseph are PT Jews, Passover and Tabernacle Jews only. What you hear here is a, an incredible description that they made a habit out of going, that they made a yearly travel. And if it was difficult for them, or if it was easy for them, or if they were just going sometimes, you wouldn't have had them making this pilgrimage every year. And here's how we know. This is a map. It's a 90-mile walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. For most people, maybe traveling by yourself, three days, horseback. For a poor peasant-style family, like Mary and Joseph's family, five days. Probably mostly on foot. So I, I know in young families, y'all, that I know it's difficult. It's tough to get families around, amen, in the morning, right? Get kids here, get them to Bible class. I'm not trying to belittle that at all. It's tough. I remember those years. Actually, Allison got to do them. I was already at the office. I apologize to my wife here uh, publicly. But can you imagine trying to get your family to go on a three to five day camping trip to go to worship, wrangling kids over rough terrain, 
This is not a story of exception. Yeah, they sometimes showed up at Passover. This is a story of habit. It was their custom, Luke says. This was what they did. And Jesus begins to discover his purpose and identity because of the habits of his family. If you skip to chapter 4, verse 16, this is Jesus introducing himself to the world. And it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up and read. So not only was traveling for festivals and parties part of Jesus's life that we know between two and 30, but we know before he even begins his ministry that going to synagogue on Saturday, on Sabbath, was his life, was part of his custom. Now, before you start thinking, well, Jake's going to just talk to the choir today. You guys are all at church. I'm not, this isn't a sermon about getting to church. This is a sermon about finding purpose. And here's what we discover first. All of us want a profound revelation of purpose. But what we discover from Jesus's early life is that God works in practical routine. Jesus discovers who he is because of practical routine. Now I get it. I want the lightning strike, right? Y'all nod your heads. We want the lightning strike. I want the moment of God meeting me on the road. I want the bright light. I want the lightning to strike me in the chest. I want the lightning bolt to come on. I want that stuff. Anybody? I want it. But that is not most of the time how God works. God is, in moments with God, is not usually moments of revelation. They are likely the result of spirit-filled normalcy. Does it make sense? Practical routine. Look how the passage keeps going. Let's pick it up back in verse 43. This is what we see in the early, early formative life of Jesus is practical routine. It says, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Mary and Joseph, you ever left a kid anywhere? Anybody want to admit to that, right? I did that in youth group several times, left kids, just left them somewhere, right? <laughs> Whoops, all right? Some of them was, might have been a little bit on purpose. And I'm just, that's, that's terrible, right? Well, they're not aware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, moms, you've had this statement before to your children. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then Jesus answers, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. I don't know if you've ever saw, thought about this. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, it takes three days to find him? Maybe a little, little biblical connection with three-day stuff, right? And the tomb and all that. But have you ever wondered... 
why it would take three days. Now, you may say, well, they were a day out, day back, two days. I get that. But still, it's another full day trying to find him. And here's why, maybe. What 12-year-old boy, if you can't find him in a city, is going to be hanging out in the temple courts with a bunch of rabbis? That's the answer, right? You go looking for him at the, I don't know, the, the dreidel courts. I don't know where, I don't know what they had going on. There's all kinds of stuff in Jerusalem. He could be down at the market. He could be playing with friends. He could have been doing anything. But after three days, they find him. In Mary's voice, you can hear the frustration in her voice. Why have you treated us like this? And parents, moms especially, you know that tone. Amen? Man. Kid loses track of time. They don't check in. Wanders off in a store. You don't know where they're at in the mall. But then you finally find them, and you're glad they're safe, but you don't know if your heart rate and your anxiety will ever recover. Right? You guys have been there. I had a friend... When we were in fourth grade, he was in third grade, and he got this exact story. A bunch of people were in the Amarillo Mall, a bunch of family. It was one of those, I thought you had him, you didn't. He was left at Westgate Mall all by himself for like three hours. When they finally found him, they wanted to kill him, right? We know that. That's what Mary is thinking. It's been three days. Why have you treated like this? They're frantic. But then you notice Jesus' response. His response in verse 49 tells us about how Jesus as a young man is starting to discover his purpose. He says, don't you know or didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now you gotta kinda imagine that a little bit. I kinda imagine maybe Jesus, he's sitting down with the rabbis on the steps and then Mary and Joseph come up and they run up to him and they're like, Finally, we found you, and his father is standing there. Joseph, his father, is standing there. And Jesus, even as a 12-year-old, as he does, loves to give cryptic answers. He goes, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph are like, your house is in Nazareth, boy. (laughs) Right? But Jesus here, it seems, is discovering something about himself. His parents don't get it. His father's standing right in front of him. The house is in Nazareth. But here, have you ever thought of this? I don't think Jesus, as a young baby, had this omniscient understanding of who he was. I think he grew into it. I think he discovered as he went. I don't think as a toddler he was like, no, mother, I will not eat another bite of broccoli. You're talking to the Son of God. You know? I think he discovered it. And part of this discovery is here in Luke 2 because he's starting to realize who he was. How do we know that? That sounds like a crazy, crazy thing. Where do you back that up? You back it up in verse 52. Luke tells us he grew into it because the passage summed up in this summary statement says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew Does it mean he was sinful? No. He grew into his understanding of who he was. I don't believe Jesus arrived all-knowing. He matured. But from most of his life, from 12 to 30, we have no idea what what, what his life was about. But verse 52 tells us he grew into his purpose, into his mission. He was maturing into into who he was supposed to be. And here's what we need to remember. We've said it one way. Let's say it another 
We don't know what happens between age 12 and 30 and very little even at age 12. But what we can know from Luke 2.52 is that maturity for Jesus happens in obscurity. If you don't have a sense of purpose, if you're like, man, I don't know what to do with myself. I know God wants to use me, but I don't know where. And you're looking for the big lightning strike, the moment, I wanna encourage you this morning to look elsewhere. You need to look in daily devotion. You need to look for purpose in prayer, in a closet on your knees. You need to look in early morning sunrises and in silent moments before the radio comes on in your truck. In silent moments of reflection and looking at God's presence in devotion to ministry and devotion to community. It's in those places of kind-hearted, servant-like action where we become the people God wants us to be. See, we all want to matter. Everybody wants a purpose. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or you're 30 or you're 60 or 80. It doesn't matter. But what happens to Jesus gives us insight. He grows in three areas. Scripture tells us he grows first in wisdom, right? Wisdom, right? We know what that is. It's not knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. It's knowing how to behave. It's most of life is gray. I know we want it to be black and white, but most, really think about it. Most of life is gray. How do I respond in this situation? What do I do? Do I send the text? Do I not? Is it smart to open my mouth right now or not? Is it, is, should I give that encouraging word to this person or not? What do I do with my kids? Do we have this conversation or not? That's wisdom. Jesus grows in wisdom. Second thing he says that grows in is stature. Now, of course, that in the scripture, that means he's getting taller, right? They're marking him up. He's 12 years old, and then they're marking him up to however tall he got, right? A little bored in their house in Nazareth, maybe. But also stature, I think, is about maturity. Are you, this morning, more mature in Christ than you were pre-pandemic? Something to think about. Have I grown over the last 2,000 years? Or 2,000 days? 2000, I keep saying that. Good night. How long do you think people live, Jake? How stupid are you? Right? Have you grown over the last 365 days? Have you grown over the last three months? And then finally it says he grew in favor. Now please don't hear the American health and wealth gospel. That is unbiblical to a T. God doesn't, isn't here to make you rich. God is here to make you holy. Favor is not, oh man, I got a new job and I got all that stuff. That can be a blessing from the Lord too, but it can also be a curse. We have to have wisdom for that. What favor is, is Jesus isn't growing in wealth, right? Jesus was a homeless man. We can't put the health and wealth gospel on Jesus because Jesus didn't live it, right? He grew in favor, meaning the influence of God was in his life. And as the influence of God was in his life, so was the influence of God in the people he was around. That's what it means to grow. I am closer to God. I'm maturing in wisdom and stature. And so therefore, my influence and my purpose is seen in the circles I run in, at home, in my marriage, with my kids, at my school. 
in my work. But the key to all this is what it said before. Wisdom, stature, and favor is he grew. He grew daily. Some of you are probably aware of this book. Anybody read Atomic Habits? James Clear's book, Atomic Habits? Okay, all right. It's good stuff. All right, some of you have. Great book. It's not a, not a Christian book. He's not a Christian. But what the book is about is James Clear says, you can change your life by 1% little, habit, 1% little changes throughout your day. Just 1% little, little things that you do different habitually. Changes that are simple and easy. He gives examples like a smoker who changed just 1% of his life to stop smoking. He used to always say, I don't want to smoke anymore. And he finally conquered that habit when he changed 1%. And all he did was change his language to, I can't smoke anymore. He just changed from, I don't want to, to, I cannot. Or another person who said, I'm a chronic sleeper inner <laughs> who bought an alarm clock and I can't stop hitting snooze. Anybody snoozers out there? I'm getting pretty bad at it recently. Golly, I was bad at it this morning. Allison always just, she's like, how many times you hit it? She just sleeps right through it, right? Those nine minutes are like paradise though. You know what I'm saying, right? Well, he talks about somebody in his book, who, who, this girl, she was like, I've got to get up. I've got to be better on time. So instead of hitting the snooze, she bought a brand new alarm clock that you could only turn off by scanning a QR code and she put the QR code on her mirror in her bathroom. <laughs> so her alarm wouldn't stop until she got up, took her phone, walked all the way to her bathroom and scanned the QR code. Who needs one of those? Coleman Perkins needs one of those. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, the premise of, of those things are just one degree changes. One degree changes in daily habits end up making huge changes in our entire life. Now, I'm not trying to say that James Clear has given us gospel, but he may be onto something because Luke 5.16 says this about Jesus. It's not on the screen. But it says, Jesus often withdrew, often withdrew to lonely places to pray. He had a 1% different outlook. Jesus wasn't magically the son of God. Yes, it was imbued in him by the Holy Spirit. He was the son of God, but he lived being the son of God. And the Christian story is that he gives access through transformation by the Holy Spirit that we live like him. To be a Christian just means you're a little Christ, right? We should look like Jesus. So as we close, I want you guys just to ask yourself these three questions I'm gonna close with. I want you to think about these three questions. Write them down. Put them in your bulletin. Uh, write them down somewhere where you can come back to them this week. Um, I'll assume that you're listening <laughs> to me. Anyway, uh, uh, but I believe these three questions help us build purpose. These three questions have been so good for me. And number one, it's this. Easy habit. This one's a good one for the end of the day. Did I meet with God today? It's a good way to discover your purpose is just to say, did I meet with God? Did he, did he do something in my life? Did I thank him? Was he evident somewhere? And number two goes along with it. Am I acknowledging his presence? That is one I'm working on so much in my life right now, church family. 
I have always, I don't know what it is. I know the Holy Spirit indwells in me. When I was 15 years old and my dad put me under that water and I came up out of that water, not knowing near enough, not, know, not, not living the right life, not having good habits in my life, I still believe Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit came into me. And Jesus isn't somebody that I acknowledge. God's presence isn't just something I acknowledge with me. The truth is I acknowledge God's presence in me. And when I start to understand that, everything changes, right? So did I meet with God, but also did I acknowledge his presence? God, you are with me today. Uh, Andy Cavalier gave me a great book a few, few, uh, first of the two years ago. And it helped me start prayers. I start prayers almost every day. God, I am loved by a loving God. I can trust your plan for my life. And God, whatever I bring to you today, I wanna do it in honor of who you've made me to be. And that is acknowledging his presence in my life. It's just a little mantra I say. It's not me repeating it. I'm not even a babbler. It is me just being a mantra, reminding myself of his presence. And then number three, and maybe most importantly for purpose, is who has God put in my path? Because I believe this, guys. I believe Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for you in advance, right? So good, meaning every day. It may be tiny little things and sometimes it may be something huge, but every day God has something for his people because God works in the now. Often we go through life looking for something in the future. Maybe I'll get there, maybe I'll get there. Maybe someday I can do this or that. And God, I think, is going, guys, you've got all you need for right now. Some of you teens may be wrestling with coming to Christ because you're like, I gotta get something in order first. God's not the God of the future. He is, yes, if you wanna get technical, (laughs) but he is the God of now. So I wanna just suggest this. With those questions, you might be going, Jake, we need a little bit more. One quick thing. Uh, James Clear in his book also suggests habit stacking. Uh, That's where you take a habit you're already doing. And if you wanna get your purpose more clear in your life, you stack a habit on top of it of something you'd like to do. So you take something you habitually do already, right? And you... Just add something more holy and godly on top of it so that while I'm already doing something I already do, that all of a sudden becomes something that honors God and honors his presence, right? I talk to my wife before we go to bed. I'm gonna pray with my wife before I go to bed. I brush my teeth every morning. I hope you do too, right? That's a habit, right? Middle schoolers, is that a habit for y'all yet? Yeah, it is. Right? <laughs> right? I brush my teeth. I'm going to habit stack. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer twice while I brush my teeth. Right? That's a habit stack. All kinds of ways you can do that. How many of y'all, first thing you do in the morning, pull that out? How about you, if you're a, if you're a phone getter first, I don't know what we call you guys that get your phone first thing in the morning. First thing phone getters, Right? You may say, well, Jake, you're about to make fun of us. Habit stack it. Make sure the first thing you turn on is your Bible app before you look at anything else. Email, if you have 10 texts on there that somebody sent you overnight, who cares? 
Go to your Bible first. How many of you check social media every day, 15 times a day, 5,000 times a day? What if you have it stacked with every time you got on social media, before you looked at anything, you posted or sent something encouraging over Snapchat or over Facebook or over Instagram to somebody else that was loving and great and kind and beautiful? You see how that works? See, it's not hard to change the world, guys. What we just don't do is don't do it. You change the world one act of kindness at a time. You change the world by living into your purpose one moment at a time. Flip over in your Bibles. It's not on the screen, but it's what Nathaniel so beautifully spoke to us. Go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to finish with this. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Luke 2 finished in verse 52 with saying, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Luke was written by Luke, but Luke also wrote Acts. And it's interesting that almost in the same spot, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, as the church is discovering who they are, there's this beautiful description, and look what happens. Starting in verse, uh, we'll start in verse uh, 45. It says, they, the church, sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. You hear the habit there? They break bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's an early uh, description of communion. Praising God and enjoying the favor. Listen to this. What's happening? They're praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You guys getting the connection? Jesus as a 12-year-old in his youth grows in wisdom, stature, and favor. And the early church, in mirror and in parallel to Jesus, grows in wisdom, size, and favor. Isn't that incredible? Man. This This isn't a challenge, it's just a dream. I would love to have two services at this church. I would love to have 600 people at this church. You know why? Because I want 600 more people or 300 more people to come know Jesus in, in this place. I've been a kid. Somebody said to me, well, you just want to have the biggest church in town, Jake. Yep, because we're reaching the most people for Jesus. You just want to be the most popular preacher in town. Nope, I don't care. I want people to know Jesus Christ. Do we need new strategy? Do we need all this new stuff? Do we need to to revamp a bunch of stuff for that to happen? Maybe. You know what we really need? People who daily see their purpose in wherever they go. Faithfulness. We need people who say, I've got a purpose in Christ and I'm gonna live it out. I'm gonna live it out with whatever comes my way, whether it's with children or my friends, my neighbors, I'm gonna see it. So if we can help you with purpose today, we're here for you. God's got something for you today. If you'll walk right into it, let's stand together and let's sing.